Hi, pals. Welcome to Leaders Learning, a podcast of conversations with great leaders. I'm the host, Blaine Hill. About halfway through 2020, I wanted to hear from really strong leaders about how they are leading in the many challenges of the year. This podcast is the result of those conversations. I have a request to make. Would you go to iTunes and give the podcast a five-star review? And if you enjoy this episode, please share it with someone else. Today's guest is Matt Bruff. Matt has been a pastor of a small faithful congregation for over 15 years, Prairie Presbyterian Church. He has served as the director of Cyclical PCC, a church planting support initiative of the Presbyterian Church in Canada. He also has hosted the Spirituality for Ordinary People podcast. Matthew is the author of the Let God books and a series of fantasy adventure books for ages 8 and up. He lives in Winnipeg, Canada with his wife, Cheryl, and their daughter, Juliet. I'll put links to all his material in the show notes for this podcast. In our conversation, Matt discussed how Canadians and the Canadian church has responded to COVID and how they've wrestled with matters of race and injustice in their situation especially relating to indigenous people and a varied population of immigrants. This year reminded him of the importance of knowing ourselves through spiritual practice and how our own spiritual disciplines spill over into our own calling to lead. Matt, welcome to Leaders Learning. 2020 has been a year full of surprises. I don't think there's any arguing that. Is there anything in the church that's been partic- particularly surprising to you? Yeah, I think um, like when when COVID first happened, it sort of there was this massive technical innovation <laughs> that happened. Um, and that was pretty surprising how quick that took place. Uh, suddenly people are online worshiping and... Um, and I think like for me, the thing that I was most surprised at in that, certainly there's been pastors who suddenly, you know, had to figure out like, how do I, how do I use Zoom? How do I stream to YouTube or whatever? And, and lots of them did an amazing job of, of shifting to that or, or teams and congregations doing those things. But like my big surprise has actually been the willingness on the part of, of Christians, churchgoers to to, to just jump in uh, with what seemed like quite a, like very little pushback. Like I know we see things in the news about like churches that are going to stay open for sure. And, and there is pushback there, but by and large, it was just suddenly like, there's this huge, I think we might be forgetting this now that it's like months later, but in March, April, there was suddenly just this massive online presence on Sundays, especially of all these Christians, not only, showing up and trying this out people and lots of times lots of elderly people not really knowing what they're doing but trying it and and just jumping into it and also inviting their friends and family members like come and join us like people who've never really stepped foot in a church in a long time and suddenly people are being evangelists without without a whole bunch of us saying like you got to go to this 10-week evangelism training (laughs) so that was that was quite a surprise actually for me is just seeing that technical innovation and and then just people willing to kind of roll with that and uh and try it out yeah i was really pleased with that as well in in our case 
we were delighted to see that people who may not have joined us for worship sometimes in years, whether they had moved or had a long-term illness or just drifted away, suddenly they were with suddenly they were with us on Sunday morning, and it was really a very nice surprise in the midst of. I mean, what didn't surprise me, which was. <laughs> which was kind of, is kind of related to that, is that I, I would frame that as like technical innovation. What didn't surprise me that is I haven't seen a ton of missional or ecclesial innovation alongside that. Um, so there's quite a lot of like, well, how do we sort of do what we were doing when we could gather in an online space? And that seems, I guess, really innovative, but like the whole world has been doing that for a long time. Like, it, it only seems innovative because we're kind of church people. <laughs> like, I feel like, but there wasn't a ton of like, well, what does this actually mean? Like, how do we, like, is there, is there higher reflection on online church? Or I also feel like now months later, I'm like pretty sick of screens and, and like, I don't, I, I we're still going to do online church in some form, but what does this actually mean for the shaping of community? What does it actually mean for, going out into neighborhoods and communities and, and actually serving the people in those neighborhoods and communities. I kind of hoped that there would be a wider discussion on that. And it, I, it, that's happening in pockets, but I just didn't see that as widespread as like, Hey, our church, our ministers putting their sermon online. You should watch it. Like that's good for a couple of weeks, but, but it, but it doesn't really go very far beyond that. Right. And I wonder what innovation is around the corner having, once we've accomplished the techni- technical piece, what might we do with that that we hadn't imagined? Yeah. And it's the difference um, between, I don't know who writes about this. I, I hear about this from uh, Ross Lockhart, who is uh, Dean at St. Andrews Hall in Vancouver. Um, uh, one of our, our seminaries in the Presbyterian Church in Canada um, talks about like the difference between technical and adaptive leadership. Sure. And so lots of those folks like actually just made a technical change, didn't actually make uh, a true adaptive change. Like they're not really adapting their structures there or working towards kind of like what might the next thing be. It's just like quickly trying to figure out how do we technically just acquire new skills. Um, and, and that's actually, that, that can be hard because you get burned out pretty quickly as you indicated, we get tired of screens. I had something really interesting, experienced something interesting as uh, in a Bible study that I've been doing all summer, which was simply a continuation of what we were doing in the spring. My experience of it has shifted in the last two or three weeks in that how much, in the degree to which I look forward to seeing those people and being with them uh, online and seeing a dozen faces at the same time, even if they're tiny yeah. little windows with bad lighting and at a funny angle. I, being in a room with 12 people or around a table is not something I had done since March. And even faking it yeah. uh, with a screen feels right. like something I miss. One of my biggest struggles this year has been even thinking about how to lead in the midst of several large social changes. Of course, you've mentioned COVID. And then here in the U.S., I mean, we, we've been confronted with evidence of police injustice. We've had very substantial social protests and some rioting, civil unrest. And then we have enormous political divisions in, in our country. And so I'm curious to see what you've seen or learned about leading in the church. And, and for you particularly, because you're over the border, it's quite close. 
in, in a way, but it, you are in a different country and it, you have a different perspective. So I would be glad to hear your perspective on what you've seen and, and maybe some of what you've experienced in Canada, is, of course, as well. Sure. Yeah. And and I would say the Canadian experience in this time has not been completely unlike the American experience. Obviously, like our number of cases of, of COVID hasn't been as high as the U.S., uh, you know, even per capita. And, and I, you know, our, our political landscape isn't as polarized. It's there, but it's not as polarized. Um, and then our, but, but even around Black Lives Matter and, you know, concerns around uh, injustice against, uh, because of race, you know, Canadians aren't immune to that. I, there's a group of Canadians that tend to kind of point and go, oh, I'm glad we're not like what's going on in the States. And then the other voice raises up and goes, well, we actually kind of are. <laughs> like, that's, we really are. I would say that here, uh, where that plays out a little more, um, for sure, we want to talk about like anti uh, anti-racism, particularly around, um, uh, you know, African-American people, but also a, a big part of the conversation in Canada is around our Indigenous people. I, I, I would argue that should be a big part of the conversation in the U.S. as well. And so there's been uh, all kinds of conversations around uh, as well, police injustice against uh, uh, Indigenous people uh, our incarceration rates is kind of a similar picture with our indigenous people in Canada to the black population in the U.S. So we're kind of, we're struggling with those same kinds of things. And, and, you know, we're neighbors as well. Uh, I'm in Winnipeg. So like, it's pretty normal for me to find my way to Minneapolis uh, for once, like maybe once a year. That's close for us on the prairies. We, you know, that's only an eight hour drive. Like that's, that's real close. Uh, that's not a big deal. You'd be there by the afternoon. That's right. So, you know, like that, so we feel that, like we, we have the same, very similar issues going on. And I have to say, like, I would admit that I really struggle with when and how to best speak out on a whole bunch of this stuff. Uh, and I would, for the most part, I approach that, try to approach things from a pastoral uh, stance, like as a pastor, I also have, like, I'm also kind of a denominational leader as well. Um, but I'm, I think I've focused a lot on my own congregation uh, that I serve half time. And so a lot of that is kind of taken in the context of prayer. Like how do we pray in this time and how do we lead people in prayer right now? Um, and, uh, and what does it look like to stand alongside someone we have a we have a very multi-ethnic congregation as well and um so that kind of hits it's home for me can i ask in, in winnipeg what does that mean I mean, does that mean people whose parents were they were born in asia or what does that mean to be multi oh what is like what does multi-ethnic mean well yeah i mean might mean different things to different people in our particular case we are really close to the university of manitoba okay so for the most part that's international students that we have and so the majority of the ones that are in our congregation are from uh, various african nations but that's not the whole story so there's some like we have a couple of uh, uh people in their 20s who they moved here when they were uh when they were kids and they're and you know so they came 
they're not kind of here to go and study at university, but they are in university now, but right. they've been here for a while. So you've got a few different isolated cases of that, but the majority would be, would be students for us. Um, but that's not everybody, you know, we've got a couple of uh, older folks who are Korean or um, people from the Caribbean, that kind of thing. So um, yeah, so it, it's kind of all over the place. I'd, we're probably not typical, but, all, but I would say that like, having a multi-ethnic church is is becoming more and more normal where we are and to some degree is that simply reflecting the community in which you live winnipeg is more multi-ethnic yeah absolutely yeah and and it really has been like i i grew up here as well and so this is just kind of the the water i grew up in um the particular area in winnipeg where i grew up uh was very multi-ethnic like it was just it was normal to, for me to be in a classroom where not quite half the people were white but then the but then the non-whites were all different uh ethnicities so it wasn't kind of like black and white it's it's all over the place right um so whites are still the majority but um but it's sort of this this very mixed thing. And and that was very localized when I was growing up, but that's not the case anymore in Winnipeg. Like almost anywhere you go, it's it's a multi-ethnic kind of community. Yeah. And with that, I assume that there's a very different history than, say, for example, here in South Carolina. Yeah, quite. Um, and, and I would say, like, when you're talking about, say, racial injustice. Oh, no. Indigenous issues. Um, so we have we have the highest urban uh, population of indigenous people in Canada. Well, well, I guess North America would be. And, and that's the huge divide between uh, rich and poor as well. So our, uh, so that's, that's where it gets, it gets quite, uh, that's where you see more of the pronounced racial divide. That, that is actually something I, I learned about Canada in conversation with you, that that's, that's where some of the, that's where some of the ugly history uh, of North America lies in Canada. Does that emerge in, in your worshiping life or the mission life of the church? Uh, yeah, a little bit. Um, probably should more than it does. Um, so we, we've just instituted uh, acknowledging uh, the land. Um, so we acknowledge like what treaty we're governed by um, and uh, and we acknowledge like whose original land, like which uh, tribes it originally be- belonged to. It still, we would still acknowledge it belongs to, um, and that we're guests as as people from who are not from here. We're not the indigenous people, um, and so we do that. Uh, and that was that's now a recommendation at all public gatherings in Canada of any kind that they start with a land acknowledgement. So I'd encourage people to to look that up, like look up what land you're on, who are the first inhabitants of your land. Um, another thing too, is that lots of places I know might assume that in their indigenous people of, of their area aren't there anymore. And quite often that sometimes that is the case, but quite often it's not the case. You know, I, I think that's been assumed a number of times in, in the U S where it's just like, well, they were wiped out. And so, so what do you do? Um, but that's actually not true. Like there's indigenous people in the U S all over the place. So, so I think finding out like whose land is this, like that we took and then, and then acknowledging that and remembering that. So we started doing that. And then we have our relationship with, um, 
with two missions and then uh, an indigenous, almost more than 90% indigenous congregation that's all part of our uh, Presbyterian uh, system in Winnipeg. So we we relate to them. Uh, we have a member of our congregation as the chair of the board there, and we provide some food assistance. And sometimes when, when we can, uh, we'll sometimes go and worship together and things like that. That's really helpful, I think, for for us here in the U.S. Uh, and probably different parts of the U.S. To I started by asking you about your perspective on things in the U.S. from Canada, but by offering your story, you, you kind of let us think about where we are. I'll, I'll confess that my first thought here in South Carolina about South Carolina was I don't know that any of those folks are still here, but then I realized that's just untrue. There, there are. Native American groups that are still here. And I know some of them and they sure. And I would say like some of the same principles, I think around like whether it's, it's looking, it's, it's all kind of about looking at like, well, what is the history and why is that so important? Like, and often you don't have to go back very far. Like I remember growing up thinking, you know, I grew up in the eighties and I, and I grew up thinking my parents are talking about the sixties. Oh, that's so long ago, you know? And now, now that I look back, I'm like, oh, it really wasn't that long ago. <laughs> like, think about the people who were working for uh, civil rights in the 60s and that whole movement. And they're not actually that far removed from the Civil War, right? Like, so I, it, it actually isn't that long. And so for I, I, I hear a lot of times people kind of writing off history or writing off well, aren't we past that? And, and I think it's kind of the same thing, like doing a land acknowledgement. It's like, well, yeah, but we're all here now. Should we do that? Well, yeah, we should, because it's actually looking back. Where have we come from? And what is the history of how we got to where we are now? Uh, and it's really important to do that. So tell me, when you say a land acknowledgement, I'm not familiar with that, that phrase, really. At what gatherings do you do that? And what is it? So we... Normally we would put that like in our worship bulletin um, and we've been doing that. And then we just recently moved to like, now I'm actually at the beginning of worship. I will actually say uh, whose land we are on. If I had it in front of me, I could tell you, cause it's a little, uh, it's a little wordy. I always have it written out for myself, but it's basically saying we acknowledge that this land was, I think the wording we decided on, we acknowledge that this land uh, was first entrusted by Creator God to uh, the Anishinaabe, the Cree, uh, and then we'll name some of the others, and also the Métis, um, which is uh, uh, kind of specific to Manitoba, actually. And something about, we don't go in full-blown into the history, but we'll basically say we're acknowledging this first entrusted by God to these people, and that this is the land that we're on. It's really fun to encounter, encounter an entirely new idea. And that is, uh, I have to say, I don't know that I've, if I've ever heard of that, I, it didn't stick in my head. Yeah. So, and this is something like something that's kind of cool about this is that now this is sort of like came, there's a Canada also had a truth and reconciliation commission. So lots of people might be familiar with the South African truth and reconciliation commission. So Canada also had one around their relationship with indigenous people and a huge long process. And there are over 90 recommendations coming out of that. One of those was that public gatherings have a land acknowledgement. But prior to that, it was actually in Winnipeg, two students at the University of Manitoba 
had written to the football team. So our local Canadian football league football team to say, this is a practice that's been done. We think that the Winnipeg blue bombers should have a land acknowledgement at the beginning of their games. Um, and we think the university team, the college team should also do this. Um, and I happened to know someone who'd worked for the bombers at that time. And she had mentioned to me that it took the president of the bombers about 30 seconds to make the decision to do it. And it was done at the very next game. Wow. And I thought that doesn't happen very often. Like, oh. so anyway, this is an interesting thing to share on a leadership podcast, because when we think about that's a pretty bold decision for a leader to just make it is without like, I couldn't, I don't have that kind of power as a Presbyterian minister. I'd have to go to my elders and you know, there'd be a whole discussion. Like, what are we going to do? Right. Probably a committee. Right. Yeah. And so he simply made that executive decision. I wonder, I don't know anything about the blue bombers, but I wonder if he actually had the authority, but once you start doing something, who knows? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and who knows what else happened? Like it's kind of an, it's kind of a apocryphal story a little bit, but. Um, but they were, they had also, they had started doing it before the government recommendations came out, you know? And so it's kind of a, we don't hear a lot of good news stories about sports teams and indigenous names. No, (laughs) I know of one, you just told it. My next question is thinking about something new. I know what I've learned new, at least today uh, in this, but has this, has leading in this year allowed you to learn something particularly new or maybe something, it could be just the opposite have you had something confirmed for you this year? Yeah. I, I don't know if this is about like this year. Um, I, I think for me and um, how this pertains to, to leadership is I think self-knowledge is really, really important. Um, so I've, I've leaned even more heavily this year on uh, the Enneagram and strengths finder. Um, as kind of two key pieces for kind of understanding the kind of leader I am or the way I even approach kind of my life and my ministry. Um, And that has ended up being particularly helpful in this time, Um, mostly because I'm kind of thinking about like, what are my like knee-jerk responses? And is this just my knee-jerk response or is this actually wise, (laughs) right? Like, um, and so I think having that kind of self-knowledge has been really, really important. So a, an example is um, I'm, a, I'm a three, like, which is an achiever for Enneagram. Um, so I like to get things done. I like to work on, uh, you know, I'm pretty future oriented. Uh, and, and my strengths finder kind of backs that up. Uh, it would kind of put me in the strategic group of strengths um, in a lot of ways. So I like kind of long-term thinking and planning and trying to figure out how do we put a, put something in place to work on it with a team. And how do you even do that right now? Like that's incredibly hard. So I found that I was getting really anxious. You know, I was just, Oh my goodness. Like, how do we, how do we, like, this is the, this is the question you're asking before though. How do we lead in this time with all these different upheavals going on? And I'm used to being able to like help map it out and, and plan our way. And that doesn't work right now. I have been amazed at the number of times that plans we make have just utterly thrown out the window, not just in the church, but school boards or 
sometimes overcome by events, sometimes overcome by other bodies. Right. And it depends. Like, I think there might be lots of people, if they're listening to this, it's a, it's about leadership. So they might be the same kind of like planning kind of people. Um, Cause I think we kind of think that's who leaders are a lot of the time. Um, but that might not be true. This is why I started with self-knowledge, right? Because um, I, I don't, I'm not kind of the, the pastoral leader uh, in terms of like a shepherding kind of person in the congregation. Um, and so someone who's that shepherding kind of person or kind of the, the helper, say on the Enneagram or something like that, they might need to pay attention to totally different things. Like I had to really pay attention to, I really need to think about how do I stay in the moment? Because I could have every day started making different plans for six months from now. Right. And oh, now it all changed again. Um, so I had to really start to think, well, how do I stay in the moment? Um, also, I had, I had four weeks off. Um, and we just decided we're not having online worship at all. Like we're not doing anything. There's lots of online worship. We pointed people to some ones that we thought were pretty good. And, uh, and we had a lay person in our church was leading kind of a weekly uh, discussion group in, in the time that our staff had, had, had a month off. So we took a month off altogether at the same time. So how do I pay attention to Sabbath staying in the moment in terms of ministry? Um, and so spiritual practices are really, really important to me. Uh, and my go-to are, is, is actually um, walking, uh, uh, prayer walking. But often I use that as like a planning tool in a way. Like I'll go for a walk and be thinking about like, what are the plans? So I've actually um, a few times, uh, this may be before my vacation, uh, I, I kind of abandoned, not that I, I'd still go for a walk because it's good, for your health to be outside and all that kind of thing. But, but one of my go-to spiritual practices became centering prayer rather than prayer walking. Um, or I used to do the examine a lot and the examine, I still would like, I'd get excited about like the look ahead part of it. Right. Um, and so, but centering prayer forced me to say, well, no, no, clear all that out. And this is just time with God. And that's what I need to be reminded of, right? And that is a staying in the moment practice. So using those spiritual practices to then say, okay, well, this has to spill out into my life and ministry from, from this spiritual practice needs to spill out into my life and ministry. Uh, so that's been, you asked like, what have I learned that's new? None of this is really new um, in a way, but it's just learning to, to identify, oh, this is the kind of person I am. So this is the spiritual practice I need to lean into in this context. So that might be different for different people, right? Um, someone else might be like, Oh, I'm super introspective and I'm great at one-on-one -on -one conversations with people. And so they just throw up their hands and say, well, we can't plan anything. So all I'm going to do is just talk with people. Well, if you're in a leadership position, you probably do need to figure out, you know, what's going to happen for the next couple of weeks. Um, so you, you have to do some of that, like, and you probably need some spiritual practices that are going to help you with that. Um, so, yeah, I think the self-knowledge piece is really, really important. And it's interesting what I, part of what I hear you saying is that in this very new situation, you had to apply those in new and different ways. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think the other thing too, that I'm learning right now is, um, 
is the real value of one-on-one conversations um, with people that uh, either that's other leaders, uh, which I've done lots of, um, but even now I'm trying to lean a little more heavily or hoping to go into a season where um, I'm setting up more one-on-one conversations with people that are under my care. Because I think, again, that's maybe back to the technical stuff is we did a pretty good job of moving to online worship, but there's a lot to do to do that. And so I, I, and I could spend forever tweaking that and making it better, but is that actually going to serve the mission? Well, um, I guess if I'm just trying to attract some viewers, maybe, but what about the people of God that are under my care? So I need to actually remind myself to, Oh yeah, right. Like I actually have to do some shepherding here. So and that, and in the end, that's going to help me strategically anyway, because I'm going to listen to the people, right? Uh, and that can only happen, especially in like Zoom meetings and online conversations. There's none of the extra conversations, right? There's, so there's none of the side bits. There's none of the before and after the meeting. There's no coffee time, right? Like, so how do those things happen? Like how many times as a leader have you after worship or after an event um, or at an event, you meet somebody or you have a conversation with someone and then that you realize, wow, that was a really important conversation. And we don't have any of those right now. So how do we intentionally figure out a way to, to connect with people one-on-one so those things can happen? You've already begun perhaps pointing at an answer to this question by an- answer. And the next thing I'm going to ask, I wonder what some of the biggest shifts you've noticed, not only in yourself, but in other church leaders. Why do you think they've been successful or why is it so hard to make that switch? I think this is really tough, actually. It's a, it's a really hard question, Blaine. Thanks for asking it. You're welcome. <laughs> I, I think it's hard because we're in the middle of such major shifts culturally. And so it's kind of hard to sift through like, well, what, like, where, where are we just getting dragged along and where is this? And where is this actually a helpful shift for the church or for leaders? I I find that really hard to figure out, actually. So this might go back to something I said earlier. I think there's an opportunity for a greater shift in terms of um, missiology, in terms of ecclesiology. There's, There's the opportunity like, hey, people were willing to jump into online worship and people were willing to suddenly get excited about their church and, you know, send emails to like three of their friends and say, Hey, our church has this online thing. You should check it out. People actually did that. Did you prompt them or did that just happen? No, no. Like I, I found out later, like I found out months later, Oh yeah. My neighbor down the street is watching our church service. And then, well, how did that happen? Oh yeah. I told them about it. (laughs) Oh, okay. You know, um, that was interesting. I wasn't expecting that, but yeah, just like there's maybe an opportunity there to say, well, you know, if people actually do care about your church, like I think sometimes as leaders, we sort of forget that the parishioners who are coming to the church, like really, really care about it. Yes. We sometimes forget that. Like, I, I know I spend time thinking like, well, how are we going to, I've got an idea. How am I going to convince the elders and then the elders will spend time thinking about like, well, we're sort of on board with this, but we know like there's a couple of people that are going to have trouble. How are we going to convince every, it gets a lot of like, how are we going to convince people? 
but we're forgetting that like this is the people of God and they actually really love Jesus and they really love the church. And, and they, and as soon as it was like a new thing that they were excited about, like they actually shared it with people. (laughs) So that to me seems like there's an opportunity there to, to go back to those same people and say like, well, what are we, what are we actually excited about? What is it about Jesus that um, that's compelling for us? And and what does that mean then for the world? Like, um, like I, I know I find in preaching, like I love preaching as well. And I find that I'm following the, the lectionary right now. And wow, is there ever stuff about, about racial justice in the lectionary? And it is just popping. Oh my goodness. Like, I guess I'm going to have to say something on these texts because of what is, what is there. Um, but how do I say that in such a way that the, the people of the church realize, oh yeah, like we do have this amazing good news to share with the world that like walls can actually come down. Um, and like this can all be healed. <laughs> um, like we have, we have hope to share and like our world really needs hope right now. You've said two really important things there. One, one is, in, and you're talking about sort of methods as we scramble around and figure out how to get something onto YouTube, it's easy for me to forget. We have something really good to put on YouTube in the, in the struggle to get the data stream, right? It's easy to lose sight of that. Whereas the people who show up and listen to it, they don't care about the data stream technology. They just want to hear and might, it might be easier to share rather than saying, Hey, will you come to church with me? Here's the link. I enjoyed this. I do think that like throughout this whole thing, I was finding that I was really moved. Like, especially I remember in, um, in May around Pentecost, I found that in worship, like even I'm in this building, like we we were streaming from our, from our congregation, from our church building um, that we rent. uh, And there's like five of us doing that. And I found that I was really emotional, like really moved in worship and you know if any of my congregation happens to be listening to this they'll be like yeah you're emotional a lot Matt just like get over it um but um but I was finding like oh my goodness this is like this message that we have this Jesus that came here to save us like how is this not relevant (laughs) Like, like it was just so obvious like we would sing a song and there'd be one verse of the song that it's like, oh, this is speaking directly to we have loved ones who are dying right now. And it's speaking directly to them. We have this scripture verse and like, I kind of almost don't want to preach on it because uh, we just need to read this one verse of scripture and just sit there with it for 10 minutes Um, because it's so relevant to where we are. Like, it, it's all, it's all there, like in our tradition and in our scriptures, um, it's, it's all there. Uh, there's this incredible text. I think it's Isaiah 56 or, um, I'm actually preaching on it this week. I know this, this recording will be out later. Um, but it actually has, it's not, it's the lectionary, but the lectionary, you know how it sometimes chops up text so it'll give you like verse one and then skip these verses and and keep going the ones that skip have this um 
this little snippet in it about uh, monuments being established to people. And uh, so I don't know what I'm going to say because this is this coming Sunday for me. Um, but, but the text says, it talks about how monuments should be, not should be, but monu- monuments and their names will be remembered. And it's not talking about the leaders. And it's not even talking about the Israelites. It's actually a passage that is talking about the foreigners. And it even mentions like the eunuchs and, um, and sort of like the, the whole encouragement of it. It's the same passage that's this, that my house will be a house of prayer for all nations is where it kind of concludes. But this little snippet of like their names will be remembered and monuments erected for, for those who are basically the disenfranchised. And there's an encouragement to the Israelites to say, don't let the foreigners among you think that they are less than you. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and, and so it's kind of interesting. Ripped out of the headlines, Isaiah. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. It's amazing. As we're heading to, to finish our time together, I wonder if you have any practical suggestions that you can make for church leaders. Yeah, I think a few things. Uh, one of the biggest things is prioritize Sabbath. Uh, and that can be super hard. Like I'm preaching to myself saying that. Um, I know that can be super hard. Uh, go outside, tend to spiritual practices. Um, I think like if we're going to be in it for the long haul, there's absolutely no way we can do this uh, on our own steam. And so Sabbath is not just for our own rest from like frantic work. I actually like to think of Sabbath as not certainly at the end of the week, we need the rest, but I kind of like to think of Sabbath as also the beginning of the week that, you know, that, that actually needs to set the tone for, for what we do. Um, Our time with God needs to, needs to actually be the first thing, not the last thing as like, Oh my goodness, I'm so beat up. I guess I just, I guess I'll go to God now. Um, so I, I feel like that needs to be a really high priority. Um, and maybe some, someone listening out there, uh, needs to hear that, uh, the Bible seems pretty serious about Sabbath breaking. Um, you know, it's one of the 10 commandments, so we should probably do it. Um, and then I would say like one other thing that I would want to give to, to leaders is to say, like, give give people permission to actually go out. Like, I don't mean like physically, like leave your homes, gather in little groups and all that. I mean, like give people permission to, to be apostolic, like go from being a disciple to, to actually, like you're not a consumer of religion. Like that's, and, but I think people actually need to be given permission and then, and then probably equipping as well to essentially be the church. And I think we've just, for so long thought that being the church means showing like getting together in a building on Sunday morning to, to have a worship service. And then, yeah, maybe I'm going to, maybe I'll go to a Bible study and maybe I'll volunteer or whatever, but it's in the, but the church is actually this is out on mission in the world, right? Like, and I think our leaders, like we've got to find ways of preaching that proclaiming that and then organizing for that. And, uh, and actually giving people permission to say like, it's okay. Like you really can do this. You really can go out. You can really actually go and connect with your neighbors. Um, 
Like if you, if you have a desire and you think, Hey, the church should really be offering this Bible study and the church isn't doing it. Well, maybe you need to realize that you are the church and you're being called to lead this Bible study. And who are five people you can invite to come? Um, You don't need the pastor to do that, but pastors need to let go of the reins to allow their people to do those things. So, cause sometimes church leaders can sort of be a little too controlling, I think. And just like, we got to realize that the church belongs to Jesus and the Holy spirit. It's really hard to control what the Holy spirit's going to do, but yeah, giving people permission to actually go out and be the church in the world and, and not worry about that. Like, I think we spend far too long worrying about, is there going to be enough money? You know, are there going to be enough people? And I don't know, like God might close, like maybe a whole bunch of churches will close, like church buildings might not reopen ever. And, and maybe the Holy Spirit's going to use that. Like it's super hard when we're worrying about like pensions and, <laughs> and salaries. But if the spirit of God is at work in the world and that's where, you know, and, and God is doing that and God is using God's people, that's the professional ministers and the professional leaders are, are a secondary consideration. Like our main job is to equip. Um, it's, it's not to figure out like, where's my salary going to come from, but that's, that's super hard to face. It's, it's not easy to, to, to work within that. Sorry. That wasn't super practical advice. Like you'd ask. <laughs> I think it was still worth hearing and I really appreciate it. It, will, it does lead me to my, my next question. And I think it's fair to ask you this, having given us a stern word, uh, can you give us a word of encouragement as well? Can you have a word of encouragement for leaders? For sure. Yeah. Uh, I think it's almost the same word actually. Um, and I think that's a good biblical tradition is that like the, the judging saving word like comes together. Cause I am really encouraged that the church belongs to Jesus. Uh, Cause that actually, not only does that sort of make me like a little bit worried and afraid at the same time, it also really takes the pressure off. Um, I find it incredibly encouraging to realize, oh yeah, right. My congregation. Yeah. I have some responsibility, but it's not my congregation. Like it's, it, it's Jesus. Like they're Jesus people. Um, And uh and yeah, the Holy Spirit is going to do what the Holy Spirit's going to do. And so that actually is encouraging to me. I find that super encouraging. Um, God's going to work it out. So hopefully I'm not getting in the way too much. <laughs> that, that it, I really enjoy the fact and I'm encouraged by the fact that you, that, that, that the words are one and the same. They're two sides of the same coin. And having seen one side, it's good to be encouraged by the other. I really appreciate your time today. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed the conversation and that you join me next time. Thanks so much to Matt Bruff. You can find links to his webpage and to the sermon and order of worship he mentioned in the show notes. If you know someone I should speak with on the Leaders Learning Podcast, send me an email to leaderslearning2020 at gmail.com. You can catch up on all our conversations at our website, leaderslearning.net, or through iTunes. God bless and hope to see you soon one way or another.